today's episode originally aired back in May. It provides some very important context for a few stories we're going to be following over the next month. So we thought we'd give you another chance to take a listen. David Enrich of The New York Times has been hunting down these videos. I've been looking for them and looking for them and looking for them for months and months and months, and I cannot find them. These are promotional videos for Deutsche Bank, the kind they might show to a new client, a high roller they're trying to recruit. Donald Trump makes an appearance in them. Ivanka does, too. The ones with Trump at this golf tournament I've had described to me by one of the people who actually shot the videos, which is fascinating because the person's asking questions of Trump, like, why do you like Deutsche Bank? And he comes back with this, you know, just a disarmingly candid response, which is, you know, I love them because they're so fast. By fast, he means they just sign off on the loans without paying a whole lot of attention. They quickly process it, which is great for Donald Trump. Not always the best sign if you are the bank that is dispensing those loans. You generally want to take your time and assess the risks and study people's uh, financial histories and things like that. Over two decades, this bank lent Donald Trump more than $2 billion. So Trump would treat these bankers as his friends, almost as his family members. He'd fly them all over the country. He'd take them to boxing matches. He'd invite them to be his guests at the U.S. Open. And he'd correspond with them. I mean, I've seen one example of Trump writing a note in his signature black Sharpie to one of his Deutsche Bank bankers where he thanks him for just being such a great friend with all the loans he's providing. And that same banker's father actually received a handwritten note from Donald Trump thanking him for raising such a great son. When he was on the campaign trail, President Trump actually bragged about his relationship with Deutsche Bank. He'd tell reporters, you want to know about my financial situation? Go ask Deutsche Bank. He even gave them the name of his personal banker. But today, it's not just journalists asking about Donald Trump's relationship with Deutsche Bank. It's the New York State Attorney General. It's Congress. And they have staffed up with really serious, high-powered former federal prosecutors and FBI agents to conduct these investigations. So this is not, this is serious business. They are looking for irregularities, weaknesses, those tax returns Trump has avoided showing the public. These investigators were getting pretty close to getting what they wanted until the Trump family filed a lawsuit trying to prevent Deutsche Bank from sharing sensitive financial documents. It's going. It's really fascinating because this is essentially has the makings of a small constitutional crisis here. Because it's this is the executive branch of the government trying to thwart an investigation by the legislative branch of the government with this private company right in the middle, and this is now going to get adjudicated by the judicial branch. I love how you say "little constitutional crisis." Like, are there little constitutional? <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's it's you're right. That's maybe an oxymoron. I mean, do you think now in 2019, Donald Trump regrets being so open about his mutual love for Deutsche Bank? I don't think so. I mean, I, I think without Deutsche Bank, Donald Trump might not be president. This is his biggest creditor by far. And the relationship with Deutsche Bank, both in terms of the money that it provided him and also the credibility it provided him. He can go, you know, on the campaign trail, tell media or tell crowds that 
I'm a great businessman. I have great relationships with some of the world's largest banks, including Deutsche Bank. The institution that regrets the Trump-Deutsche Bank relationship is Deutsche Bank, which is just, at this point, apoplectic about the fact that they are the primary lender to the most powerful and probably most controversial person in the world. Today on the show, David's going to take us deep inside this relationship. He says it's almost a love story between Deutsche Bank and the president. But right now, this relationship is definitely on the rocks. David's trying to figure out how it all ends. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Before David Enrich explains this relationship between Deutsche Bank and President Trump, it's worth explaining why it's so peculiar that Trump was able to secure so many loans from any bank. Even the most generous reading of Trump as a businessman would still conclude he's a pretty bad credit risk. This is someone who repeatedly defaulted on loans, repeatedly had his companies declare bankruptcy. It it was deliberate. It was he was in fact, seemed to derive some sort of weird pleasure from defaulting on loans and stiffing his bankers. And it was something he boasted about in his books. It was something that when he did default and bankers complained about it, he would say, well, you should have read my books. That left very few banks willing to do business with him, almost none, except for one, which was Deutsche Bank. It's obviously a German bank. And in the 1990s, it was trying to make a name for itself on Wall Street and in the U.S. in general. And how do you do that? Most people can't even pronounce its name in America. So you need to find customers that are not part of the mainstream financial system, but that also have the possibility to kind of create some buzzy, splashy publicity for you and your bank to help spread the word that you're open for business. And in 1998, Donald Trump went to Deutsche Bank and sought the first of what would become more than a dozen loans. And this is something that no one else in Wall Street was prepared to do. He basically burned all of his bridges on Wall Street. That's exactly right. And he had defaulted multiple times. This is a very clear pattern. Deutsche Bank took a look and said yes. I feel like if you want to understand the president's relationship with this bank, You have to understand his relationship with this one banker in particular. Can you tell me a little bit about Rosemary Vrablic? Yes, I can tell you a lot about Rosemary Vrablic. I have spent the past year, give or take, obsessing over Rosemary Vrablic. She's a fascinating character. She's someone who grew up in a wealthy New York City suburb, although she didn't grow up terribly wealthy. You know, clawed her way up through the banking industry. She started off as a bank teller worked her way up very slowly in an industry dominated by men where there are huge barriers to women advancing. Clawed her way up to become the top, one of the very top bankers in the United States. And she did that by cultivating very close 
business relationships with some of the richest people in the world. She's what's called a private banker, by the way. What is a private banker? Yeah. So private banking is basically an arm or a kind of a slice of the normal banking industry that caters exclusively to the richest of the rich. So if you're a billionaire, you probably have a private banker. And your private banker is going to do a variety of things for you. Uh, He or she will help you get mortgages or other loans at very favorable rates. The private banker will manage your money and kind of invest it for you or help you invest it in vehicles that maybe aren't, in fact, definitely are not available to average person like you or me. They'll hook you up with hard-to-get concert tickets or restaurant reservations and kind of serve as a high-end concierge service. And increasingly, and this is a role that uh, Rosemary Vrablic pioneered in the private banking world, they will get you very large, complicated loans to your companies. And so someone like that becomes enormously valuable and, and gets this access to a who's who of, in New York, the kind of the New York society crowd. It sounds like a friend with benefits, but the benefit is money, like not sex. <laughs> yeah, the benefit is <laughs> the benefit is money, it's access, it's prestige. This is like having like a super duper exclusive credit card and then, you know, multiply that by 100. It's a status symbol to a certain extent, and it goes both ways, right? So, Rosemary Vrablic, who is by all accounts a very not fancy person, she becomes the centerpiece of the Deutsche Bank relationship with the Trump and Kushner families. And she shows up at the inauguration. There are pictures of her with Jared Kushner. You know, they're sort of arms around each other at a dinner yep. together. Like the the relationship is close. She formed a very close relationship with uh, Jared Kushner, with Donald Trump, with Ivanka Trump, facilitated loans to Kushner's companies, to Trump's companies to Donald Trump Jr.'s uh, an ill-fated business venture he had in South Carolina, she became the most important banker to the person who would become the most powerful man in the world. I mean, the funny thing about Rosemary Vrablick is that she worked at Deutsche Bank and she had this very close relationship with the Trump family. But at the same time, the rest of Deutsche Bank didn't necessarily have a close relationship with the Trump family. Like the rest of the bank wouldn't lend to them, right? Yeah, so this is it's kind of a circuitous path through which Trump ends up with Rosemary. And he had, starting in the early 2000s, he had burned through a series of bankers at Deutsche Bank because he kept defaulting on his loans. And there's an incident in the early 2000s where he got Deutsche Bank to sell a bunch of junk bonds on behalf of his casino company and then promptly defaulted on those bonds. And in 2008, a big loan the bank had provided to finance the construction of an enormous sky high rise in Chicago. He not only defaulted on that loan, but then had the chutzpah to sue the bank for causing the financial crisis and for engaging in predatory lending against him. And he said it was like an act of God, right? He described the financial crisis on the one hand as an act of God, kind of an unanticipatable once in a lifetime event that therefore voided his loan contract with the bank. But at the same time, he argued that Deutsche Bank is what caused this act of God by its reckless mortgage lending and, you know, all sorts of reckless banking all for the world. Which, by the way, there's some truth to that latter accusation. Deutsche Bank did play a big role in accelerating and deepening the crisis. But the act of suing your bank because you defaulted on your loan from the bank is, I've, I've been covering this stuff for almost 20 years, and I've never seen anything like that. 
And then he went to Rosemary Rablick and borrowed money from her to repay that loan, right? Right. So after Trump sues the bank, this litigation goes on for a couple of years and they finally settle in 2010. But one of the conditions of the settlement is that Trump needs to come up with at least 40 million dollars to pay back what he personally owed Deutsche Bank as part of this Chicago loan that he defaulted on. And so he needs to come up with money to repay the bank and also money because he's looking to do all these other investments like buying golf resorts in Florida and things like that. And so Jared Kushner, who had gotten to know Rosemary Vrablic, introduces his new father-in-law, Donald Trump, to Rosemary Vrablic. And Vrablic and her boss, it's the same pattern here with Deutsche Bank. They're trying to make a name for themselves and and Deutsche Bank's private bank in this very crowded New York market. And they're looking for ways and deals to distinguish themselves. And so they agree to start lending money to Trump. And the very first loan they do to Donald Trump is a loan that provides him with the cash to repay the other arm of Deutsche Bank that he had previously defaulted on. Uh, Once again, I'm left almost speechless by this because it just almost defies logic that a bank would be willing to throw what so clearly seems like good money after bad in a case like this. But that's exactly what Deutsche Bank did. It's like the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. Well, the scarier thing is they did know. They knew exactly what they were doing. And yet they were willing to do it because they, you know, they did their research and they structured this loan in a very kind of clever way, which meant that the risk that Donald Trump would default a third time on his Deutsche Bank loans seemed quite low. Yet what they didn't consider is that there's more risks in lending to someone than simply the risk of them not paying you back. The, the biggest risk, and this is something that most banks had woken up to during the financial crisis, is that if you're doing business with people with bad reputations, there's a very high risk that their bad reputations are going to rub off on you. And Deutsche Bank just did not think about that. They wanted the short-term financial gain from this relationship, and so they got it. And they completely shoved out of their mind the fact that someone who keeps defaulting on you and who says outrageous things in public and often racist things in public is maybe not the best customer to have. When President Trump was elected, It seemed like Deutsche Bank kind of woke up. Would you would you agree with that? Or do you think it was happening before then? I think it was starting to happen by the time that he started winning a bunch of primaries in early 2016. And we know that in the spring of 2016. So at this point, Trump has started winning these primaries and he's been the front runner in the polls for months now. And it's clear that he's not immediately going away. Trump went to Deutsche Bank and to Rosemary Vrablic for yet another loan. And this one was to finance some work on his golf course in Scotland. Rosemary Vrablic and her boss and uh, her boss's boss all signed off on this. And then it went up the food chain at the bank. And senior executives of the bank got involved and said, you've got to be kidding. We already have 300 plus million dollars of exposure to this guy. There's no way we can do another loan right now. We just can't do it to a guy who's running for president. And so that for a lot of people at the bank was kind of a crucial turning point. They realized that not only were they deeply exposed to this very polarizing presidential candidate, but that the judgment of people in the private bank was just off. The fact that they thought that this was still a good idea to be throwing money at someone who is in the heat of a presidential campaign does not reflect well on the soundness of your thinking. That's not prudent. It's not conservative. In fact, it seems reckless. And so November 9th, 2016, people wake up in Frankfurt and see that Donald Trump has just beaten Hillary Clinton and is going to be the 45th president of the United States. And there's, I've talked to a bunch of executives who were there, and they just had this 
nausea inducing realization that they needed to move as quickly as they could to contain the damage from the fact that they were so deeply exposed to the president. And also just from a public relations standpoint and a reputational standpoint, Trump, even after being elected, especially after having been elected, remained extremely polarizing, extremely controversial. Much of the world had a very low opinion of him. And that's bad business for a global bank. And they, in fact, told their employees, like, listen, don't mention the name Trump. They were so desperate to contain any more fallout from this that they told employees in the investment banking division, the word Trump shall not be uttered. This is throughout the bank that people, the bank was really trying to circle the wagons. And I've heard from people in another division of the bank that when they would have town hall meetings where senior executives from Frankfurt would come to town and invite anyone to ask any honest questions they had. Employees were warned before walking into the auditorium where they'd have these meetings that they are not allowed to ask any questions about Donald Trump. And it's kind of like an ostrich-like pose in a way, just really not wanting to draw any further public or media or regulatory attention to the extent of this problem. You know, we're two years into this presidency now. You know, I wonder, you keep talking about Deutsche Bank's reputation and ha- and the risk of being associated with Donald Trump. Is there evidence now that this relationship has exposed them in some way? It's really hard to tell. And it's a very good question, but it's hard to tell because Deutsche Bank has so many problems. They've been losing money. Their stock price is basically pennies on the dollar. It's really hard to separate exactly which problem, whether it's Donald Trump or whether it's criminal investigation into money laundering or whether it's just the fact of their business model not working in Germany, which of those particular problems has contributed to the complete loss of confidence in the bank. But there's no denying at all that confidence is shot and many of the bank's clients are have been running for the hills. So you said that the bank took up this ostrich-like pose after Donald Trump was elected. And since, we've learned that they've been cooperating with all of these investigators from New York, from Washington. Why? Because they're in damage control mode. And they realize that loyalty to their longtime client, Donald Trump, is not worth nearly as much as loyalty from the public and just repairing relations with governments all over the world that control the bank's fate to a large extent. And so... They are trying to save themselves and to repair their name from the tarnish of Trump. You know, we started off by talking about Rosemary Vrablic, and I just wonder where she is now. She was that banker who had such a close relationship with the Trumps. Where is she in all this now? Is she still working at Deutsche Bank? Yeah, she's still an employee. She is, I think, trying to keep her head down is maybe the best way to put it. And I think her expectation is that she one day is going to be summoned or subpoenaed to testify before Congress about the relationship under oath. And for someone who is such a private person and so kind of unaccustomed to or unwilling to be in this white-hot spotlight, I think that's going to be a profoundly unpleasant and painful experience for her. But boy, it'll be fascinating. David, thank you so much for talking. Anytime. Happy to do it. David Enrich is a reporter for The New York Times, and he is writing a book on all this. It should be out in February. For details, follow him on Twitter. 
He's at David Enrich. This episode originally aired back in May. Since then, Deutsche Bank has continued to spiral. They plan to cut 18,000 jobs, and they'll be back in court soon, fighting with President Trump over his financial records. Today's show is hosted by me, Mary Harris. My producers are Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, and Ethan Brooks. If you're sitting at your desk today, find yourself a little bored, head on over to Twitter. I'm at Mary's desk. If you like the show, leave us a review. Go on over to Apple Podcasts and just click those five stars. All right. Catch you Monday.